This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A boy goes missing in a small Texas town. What follows is a story of twists and turns, rumours, gossip, allegations, finger-pointing and conspiracy theories. And at the centre of all of this is a high school boy named Tom Brown. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Twists and Turns. Tom went cruising with friends and then disappeared. What happened to him? Just a note before starting. Apple for the Teacher does not name perpetrators out of respect to the victims. So today we continue with the story of Tom Brown. So if you haven't already, it would be a good idea to go back and listen to part one. At the one-year mark of Tom's disappearance, private investigator Klein received an anonymous call from a woman who provided the most surprising but promising information to date. She claimed she had overheard someone saying that they knew Tom's body was somewhere along Lake Marvin Road, the road where the backpack had been found. Klein then put a message out on Facebook asking for volunteers to help search the area. And within a short time, a woman found something. And although it wasn't Tom, it was significant. She found a cell phone and it was speculated that it was Tom's phone. However, Klein was sceptical because of the condition of the phone. It was in really good condition. It didn't look like it had been out in the elements for a year since Tom went missing. He just thought it was a false alarm and that someone in the search group had accidentally dropped their own phone. But no one claimed the phone was theirs. An examination of the phone was to confirm that it was Tom's. But to Klein, the condition of the phone suggested it could have only been out in the open for a few days, which led him to develop a theory that someone had deliberately planted the phone as they knew the area was about to be searched. The volunteers had only been told by Klein of the exact location of the search on the day of the search, so he didn't think any of them could have planted the phone. However, he did have one person in mind. And of course, who would that person be other than the sheriff? Klein then claimed that he had told the sheriff just days earlier about where the search would be conducted. However, when asked about this, he denied knowing anything about the search, adding that even if he did, what was his purpose to deliberately plant Tom's phone? The sheriff then turned the tables and accused Klein of planting the phone himself. But Klein responded to this by saying, how would he have even been in possession of Tom's phone? As we have already seen, there was no love lost between the two men and the accusations against each other continued. Klein's view was that the sheriff was corrupt and that he was trying to undermine his investigation as he didn't like a private investigator coming into town and stepping on his turf. 
and there was also to be more information that was to come to light regarding Tom's phone. According to the sheriff, a few weeks after Tom had gone missing, Tom's mother Penny had texted Caleb's mother and asked if Caleb or any of his friends knew the four-digit code to Tom's phone. She thought this was an unusual request and informed the sheriff, who wondered why she would want this code, as Tom's phone hadn't yet been found. When Penny was questioned about this, she stated that it had been the deputy sheriff who had asked her for Tom's code, but she wondered why because his phone had still been missing. Even though this request perplexed her, she decided to ask Tom's friends if they knew the code. However, the deputy sheriff disputed Penny's story, saying that he had never asked her for the code. The sheriff proceeded to call Penny a liar and believed she had Tom's phone and that she was hiding something. Penny's response to this was, if she had something to do with Tom's disappearance, why would she hire a private investigator who might uncover her involvement? The sheriff responded to this by saying, that the private investigator was being paid by Penny, that he would only investigate what she asked him to, making sure she would keep him away from her possible involvement. When Klein heard this, he thought it was laughable and explained that the first thing he tells families when they hire him is that if they are involved, he will find out. After hearing the sheriff's theory, Clyde described him as the worst police officer he had ever encountered in 30 years. After the phone was found and the continued antagonising between the sheriff and Klein, Penny had finally had enough and called for the case to be turned over to the Texas Attorney General's office. Klein backed this move, saying his own investigation had been hampered by the sheriff and that it was in Tom's best interest that his disappearance be independently investigated. As a result, two investigators arrived in Canadian and set about reviewing all the details of the case. They concluded that someone wasn't telling the truth and assembled a list of three people who they wanted to undertake a lie detector test. As predicted, the sheriff and Klein were on that list but the person at the top of the list surprised everyone. It was Tom's mother, Penny. So, after taking over the case in February 2018, the investigators from the Attorney General's office first interviewed Tom's mother, father, and his brother, Tucker. They were asked to undergo a lie detector test, and they all agreed. After examining Penny's results, they concluded that the test showed deception. But Penny had a simple explanation for this. One of the questions asked was, have you communicated with Tom after he went missing? She remembered thinking that this was an ambiguous question because on the one hand, she of course hadn't communicated with him as she hasn't seen him just like everyone else. But on the other hand, she had communicated with him because she had sent him text messages after he had gone missing, which of course he never responded to. 
She was then asked to provide proof of these messages and she proceeded to read out the messages from her phone. Over a year, she had sent him messages on various milestones and here are some of those messages. She starts to read the messages but then can't continue and then Tucker takes over. On February 14th, I said, Happy Valentine's Day, love you. On May 7th, you were honored today at church for Senior Sunday. What are you start? Okay. You were honored today um, in church for Senior Sunday. I have your gifts. You are not forgotten. I hope you do not feel like you have been. Many people pray for you every day. I miss you, and I am so ready for you to come home. Love you, Thomas. Fourth of July, uh, without you, another holiday uh, without you home, my heart breaks. I will never stop praying for you. Love you. April 3rd, um, love you. September 3rd, 2017, uh, good night. October 7th, 2017, love you, Thomas. October 24th, 2017, good night, Thomas. I love you. November 9th, 2017, can't wait for you to be home. Love you. November 24th, 2017, just spent our second Thanksgiving without you. Um, I love you and can't wait for you to be home. December 25th, 2017, Merry Christmas, Thomas. Love you always. January 1st, 2018, Happy New Year. Love you, just want you to be home, we miss you. February 4th, 2018, hope you get to watch the Super Bowl. Sorry the Patriots lost. Love you and pray for you every day. March 30th, 2018, we have tried uh, so hard to find you and bring justice to your disappearance, but I have failed. I'm sorry, I have failed you, love you always. Just how difficult is that to listen to? So she believed that the lie detector had picked up the ambiguity in her answer, that she hadn't been deceptive. But the investigators were not satisfied with her story. They told her that they thought she had found Tom after he died and then moved his body. At 5.5, she disputed the fact that she could have moved her son, who was 6 foot 1. They responded by saying that her son Tucker may have helped. They believed he had taken his life and Penny then became embarrassed that another family member had committed suicide and so she went on to dispose of his body so that no one could find him. After going through this very difficult interrogation, Penny advised her son Tucker not to undertake the test. Although he agreed, Ultimately, the investigators never asked him to do the test. The next person to undergo the test was Private Investigator Klein. During his questioning, he was accused of planting the phone to make himself look like a hero. But he questioned where did he get the phone from. Ultimately, he passed the test with no deception being indicated. And finally... The sheriff was also asked to undergo the test, which he agreed to. But before starting, he made a point to explain that he suffered from anxiety and that he was nervous about the test, not because he had something to hide, but because of his anxiety. The test went ahead and it was concluded that his response to one particular question was suspect. He was asked, if he had been involved in the disappearance of Tom Brown. And when told that he wasn't being truthful on this question, he explained it as follows. To him, the question was ambiguous. 
in that, yes, he had been involved in investigating Tom's disappearance, but his involvement was not in that way, that he was responsible in some way for what happened to Tom. So, now Tom had been missing for just over two years, and that's when this curious and bizarre story was to take another turn. The deputy sheriff had been patrolling along Lake Marvin Road when he saw a trail that he decided to follow, and it was there that he made a gruesome discovery. He had found a human skull as well as a few other bones, and an examination was to determine what everyone already feared. Tom Brown had finally been found. He was identified through his dental records. But the location only added to the mystery. After finding his car, his backpack was then found about four miles away, and his body was then located 12 miles from his car. The suicide theory had many perplexed. It just seemed implausible that a person intending to take their life would leave evidence in different locations. And again, his family and friends didn't think Tom was capable of trekking that distance. There was speculation that perhaps he wanted to hike to the location where his grandfather had taken his life, but he ended up leaving his backpack as it was too heavy. But he ultimately didn't make it to that location and instead took his life where his body was found. Two weeks after Tom was found, the small town was to be rocked by another tragedy. Remember the boy Michael, who had been with Tom that last night? Well, his father ended up committing suicide, and this only added to the rumours that had been swirling around town about Tom's death. People seemed to put the two together and explain Tom's death as a relationship between a teacher and a student that had turned deadly. Michael's father had been a school teacher, and the latest rumour that was circulated around town was that he and Tom had been in a romantic relationship. But then Michael found out, and then he decided to take his life. But if people didn't believe this theory, there was another story circulating about why Michael's father took his life. Some said it was possible that Michael had somehow been involved in Tom's disappearance and ultimate death, but that his father covered it up for him. But then when Tom was finally found, he feared the truth would come out, and so he ended his life. But Michael's mother offered a much simpler and innocent explanation. Michael's father had suffered from depression and bipolar for a number of years, as well as very severe asthma. He had often talked about life just being too hard. His depression had been clearly evident, and talking about ending his life had been frequent. This is how she explained his death, mocking the ridiculous conspiracy theories that were being spread. The investigators from the Attorney General's office continued their investigation for eight months and then finally made their findings public. They had been able to find new evidence about Tom's phone, revealing 
that a search had been conducted on his phone for a suicide hotline and that this search had occurred that night when he had been with his friends. They were also critical of the private investigator's luminol test, saying that they had discovered that it had been red paint that had been spilled in the car and not blood. So in summing up, they stated that no evidence had been found that Tom had taken his life or that there had been foul play involved. They also concluded that there was no evidence that the sheriff's office had anything to do with Tom's death. As a result, they announced that the investigation would be suspended. How difficult it must have been to hear this announcement. Here is Penny's reaction. It's disappointing. It's still very disappointing because I feel like, um, you know, almost three years later, I just, I kind of feel like we're still on square one. I still feel like we're on November 23rd, 2016. We still have questions. We still do not have answers. And so there's, there's really no moving forward. There's no healing. I just have to keep believing that Someday I'll have answers and, you know, maybe it's not until I go to heaven. I don't know, but I'm still going to be hopeful. Maybe I don't hope that Thomas is coming home anymore. He's already home. But I can still hope that we have answers. For those in the town who felt that Tom's death had been the result of foul play, they provided the argument that the killer could only have been someone living in the town. The location of Tom's car, his backpack, and where his body was found were places that only someone familiar with the town would know about. So many believed the killer was still amongst them. The suspension of the investigation left the townsfolk surprised, but also very angry. Tom's death had taken such a toll on the town. The rumours, the gossip, the conspiracy theories. It was a circus that everyone wanted a resolution to, no matter what side of the fence people stood on. The town just wanted to move on, but they were despondent that the suspension would now not allow this to happen. Although it didn't mean that the case was closed for good, but just on hold until new evidence was found. But far from everything going quiet, a few months after the case was suspended, the sheriff was to be embroiled in another controversy. It had come to light that he had falsified various documents which incidentally had nothing to do with Tom. He explained that it was just a simple clerical error. However, He was encouraged strongly to resign in the best interest of the town. The county had been embarrassed by the sheriff's handling of the Tom Brown case and they wanted the town to start to heal. The sheriff agreed to resign, saying he was fed up with all of the accusations against him regarding Tom's case. And then, just as everyone thought that the case had been laid to rest, One of the investigators from the Attorney General's office was seen driving back into town. Everyone speculated that maybe there was new evidence. She was seen visiting various people 
and returned to the town a number of times in the months that followed, and ultimately she announced that a grand jury would be convened to investigate Tom's death. This would involve a number of people being called to testify. As we have seen, Tom's mother Penny had been at the top of the list of those to be given a lie detector test, and the sheriff himself had much to say about her. He believed she knew more than she was saying. When Tom had first been reported as missing, the sheriff recalled that she didn't seem to behave as you would think that a mother would behave when their child had gone missing. He described her as being emotionless and very cold. When interviewed about this perception, she said that everyone handles grief and tragedy differently. She described herself as being a very well-liked schoolteacher. If she had been involved, why would she pay thousands of dollars for a private investigator? When also asked about the theory that Tom had been gay, how would she have reacted if he had revealed this to her? She replied that yes, it would have troubled her, but that she wouldn't have been angry with him. She would have just had a cordial discussion with him about how the Bible views this as a sin and that she would have wanted to help him. After everything had come to light about Tom, the private investigator offered up his final theory in the case. He believed that after Tom had left his friends that night, that he had met up with some other friends who happened to be fooling around with a gun. It accidentally went off and Tom was killed. One of the boys panicked and rang his father, who proceeded to call the sheriff to cover it up. Klein suspected the boy involved may have been from a prominent family in the town. It was then just last year, in 2021, five years after Tom first disappeared, that the private investigator made an announcement that he was ready to reveal new information never before released. He convened a town meeting, and everyone present believed he had information regarding his theory of Tom being accidentally shot by friends and there being a cover-up by the sheriff. However, everyone at that meeting sat shocked as he revealed details of a totally different theory about Tom's death. He brought up the name of a student from the high school named Chris Jones. And you may remember he had been mentioned earlier as the high school student who had been involved in assaulting another student. A few years after being kicked out of school, he went on to commit armed robbery. One of Klein's associates interviewed him in prison, and Klein went on to recount the story the boy gave. In that year that Tom had gone missing, Chris wasn't living in Canadian, but in a nearby town. He claimed that the sheriff approached him, asking him to move back to Canadian and play for the high school football team. But he didn't just ask him, he threatened that if he didn't, he would kill him. The boy explained that the sheriff had been involved in a crime ring, which betted on football matches. He wanted Chris to join the team, where he would be instructed to either play hard to win the game, or throw the game, so the sheriff could collect on bets. So Chris was forced back to town, and after one particular game, which did not go the way the sheriff wanted, the sheriff took Chris blindfolded 
to a secluded spot, holding a gun to his head. He threatened that if the next game did not go the way that it was supposed to, that he would kill him. Then soon after, Tom went missing, and there was another game coming up. But before the game, Chris was again taken blindfolded to a location where he was threatened about how he was expected to play the game. But this time, he saw another police car, and there was someone sitting in a chair, tied up, with a deputy sheriff holding a gun to his head. And that person was Tom. He said his life and Tom's life depended on how he played the next game. So this all happened in October last year, 2021. And here is where the case stands at the moment. After the Attorney General's office announced the grand jury, they made a further announcement sometime later that they had made the decision not to go ahead with the grand jury. And when asked why, the explanation given was that although they were confident that they could indict a number of people, they ultimately felt that there would not be adequate grounds to convict any of these people. So in the likelihood of no conviction, they felt there was no reason to go ahead with the grand jury. So as it stands today, Tom's case is still technically open, although suspended. And you have to so feel for the family because while the case remains open, they're not able to take Tom's remains and give him a funeral. Just imagine that. Their son is being kept in storage somewhere within the department. That would be so hard to deal with. So what can you say about this story? But one thing I can say is that if those two men, the Sheriff and Klein, had only worked together rather than being adversaries, then the mystery of Tom's death may have been solved. It's just impossible to come to grips with this story. Who's lying? Who's telling the truth? But when you look at their stories, the Sheriff and Klein had opposing stories about the search that led to the phone being found. So we know for sure one of them is lying. Then the sheriff and Tom's mother had different stories about the pin code to Tom's phone. So again, one of them is lying. And at the centre of both of these is the sheriff. There's no doubt that he didn't handle the case properly. And Tom's phone was found only within 10 minutes of the search starting. So it does look like someone knew they were going to be there and planted the phone. But who had been in possession of the phone? We know Tom had it with him that night because he searched for a suicide hotline, but it was the sheriff who was the first to search Tom's car. Perhaps it was in there and he took it but didn't reveal this and then he planted the phone. But why would he want to do that? And this all happened only in 2016. So I can't believe that modern technology hasn't been able to find something. Or has the sheriff hushed this all up? They should have been able to follow his whereabouts through phone pings. And how was the sheriff not able to get any fingerprints inside the car? Supposedly, it had been so dirty. But I do believe that Tom was going through something because of the diapers. And the night before he disappeared, he also said 
to his ex-girlfriend that he was a loser. He searched for a suicide hotline on his phone, so a suicide seems likely, but then everything else just doesn't make sense. Researching this story and all of the drama that it has caused, it just makes me so sad because at the centre is this teenage boy who, by all accounts, was a great kid. When you look at photos of him, it's just so unfathomable what has happened to him. And now let's finish with some final words from Tom's father and mother. That's all we can do is imagine. He is walking the streets of gold with the father, and he is where he's supposed to be. I'm a father. I've lost my son. All of that, all of that's true, and, and it's heartbreaking, and, but, but God has stepped up. I've gotten to learn about him and, and learn about his, what he does and how he does it. It's amazing. Tom was a friend to sometime the friendless great kid, and not just because he's my son. He, I mean, he's a great actor. To me, he left a legacy here on earth. I don't know anything. I'm just you, uh, hypothetical. If, but if they arrest somebody this afternoon, more than likely I'm going to end up in Canadian Texas telling them they're forgiven because God asked me to do that. Don't ask me why, because I can't. There's no way I can answer that. He was a good person, and he was a person that you want in your society because he was kind, he was kind-hearted, he was an encourager. For some people, he was their biggest cheerleader. And I know we miss him. So, of course, Tom's story is by no means over, and it's only been six years since he went missing. And as we know, cases now are being solved long after the event. So, I really feel that we will be finding out more about this case in the future. And to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote from Tom's mother, Penny. I keep myself busy with the things I do, but every time I pause, I still think of you. And now, just before I finish this episode, I just wanted to let you know that I've decided to take a break from the podcast for a little while. The podcast has now been going for three years, and I don't know how, but I've managed to release one episode each week for the last three years. Don't ask me how I've done it, but I was able to do it somehow. But I just thought I'm going to have a break and I'm not going to have a total break though, because what I've decided to do is I'm going to choose some of my favorite or memorable episodes to replay. So each week I will choose an episode and I will replay previous stories that I've covered. So that's really all I'd like to say for now. So thank you everyone for your support over these three years. So I hope you enjoy the repeat episodes and I will come back at some point, hopefully refreshed and ready to continue on with the podcast. So that's all from me. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.